Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you know, every now and then I have to confess a little thing. So, <laughs> let me confess that I do not feel like I have a very good theology of evil. Demons, unholy spirits. I just don't. Now, I'm not sure why that is. I remember when I wrote my credo, uh, it was a long paper in your second year of seminary where you lay out what you believe. My professor that graded it, I got an A, but my professor that graded it at the end of the paper said, what about evil? So that should tell you <laughs> that I don't have a good theology of evil, okay? Um, and I think maybe it's because, like, I'm afraid if I get too close to that stuff, it's going to get me, yeah. kind of like a monster under your bed kind of thing, you know? You know what I mean. I know you know what I mean. When I was, uh, for years, for 25 years in the summers, I spent a month in Seguin, Texas, at Texas Lutheran College, being a counselor for Texas Girl State, a, a youth in government kind of program. We had uh, about uh, 500 uh, going to be seniors, young women, come and spend two weeks with us, uh, learning all about Texas state government. And I was counselor for many, many years, and then they decided they were going to add an associate director position. And so the director and the sitting associate director said, the director said, the sitting associate said, uh, I think I'd like to have Joe Hudson be the associate, the other associate. And that associate said, well, Joe would be great. But remember, she spooks easy. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that's true even today, <laughs> I guess. Maybe that has something to do with my lacking of a theology of evil. You know, the last uh, two weeks, we've, uh, we've gone in rapid succession through the beginnings of the Gospel of Mark, and we're still in chapter 1. Uh, we heard the story of Jesus' baptism, the calling of the first disciples. And now we get this third epiphany story. Epiphany means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is showing forth. And these stories are designed to show forth who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus, man of Nazareth, rabbi who has come? And how are we supposed to understand who he is? And uh, in today's gospel reading that we just heard, not only do the disciples immediately recognize Jesus when they're called, you know, it says they drop everything and go. But it would seem that the demon possessing this man also immediately recognizes, immediately recognizes Jesus. So the good and the bad in our world recognize holiness, recognize the divine. And this one is bold enough and brazen enough to say, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. A kind of a daring thing, right? Now, I don't know how you picture that demon. I don't, I don't even try to, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but uh, 
you know, where our tendency is to get some kind of mystical, odd-looking creature, right? But I'm going to take us in a different route on this. So um, the interesting thing about this moment in the Gospel of Mark, and each of the Gospels has a moment like this, is that this marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the beginning of Jesus' ministry means he's confronted with this evil in his presence, right? Challenging him. And Jesus comes into the world clearly, according to the way this writer is writing it, as a liberator. A liberator in direct authoritative opposition to death-dealing forces of evil that in turn are seeking to rule and ruin creation, the world, right? Now, now, when we read this story and we hear this story, um, sometimes people try to write it off because it's just ancient. It's using demons and, you know, theology that maybe we don't understand. But I think we're at risk if we don't engage it. I think the whole purpose of this story is for us to engage it. And uh, it may seem ancient and it may seem foreign. This is a, a Middle Eastern culture, very ancient and very different than where we are today. But consider that in our world today, there are any number of death-dealing forces, right? I don't have to, I mean, you know them. And these death-dealing forces are often experienced as possession, you know, or being caught up in a dynamic that far exceeds any of our own personal intentions or our ability to control it, right? And, and you know, I mean, we have any number of kinds of addictions that overwhelm individuals and families. Racism, white supremacy, misogyny, homophobia, I could go on and on. Anger consumes so many people, consumes and inhabits so many people today. Envy devours and drives so many to seek after wealth and power at the expense of their health and their well-being, and oftentimes their relationships. And all of us are complicit in what is happening to God's creation on this planet, sometimes without even knowing that we're doing it. You know, I heard that they're all talking about these microplastics. Have you heard about it? I mean, everybody's talking about the plastics in our water. The micro, micro, microplastics that get into us because we're drinking out of plastic bottles and everything else. I don't mean to scare you. No. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, it's all out there, okay? Lies and speaking falsehoods and distorting reality have now caused so much disruption, violence, and hatred in the world, in our country, and so in our lives, right? Now, you and I probably don't call all these things demons. I can't tell you when I've used that word. But isn't all of this somehow unholy? You know, holy is a word that means set apart for the divine. 
And so when we enter into these things, sometimes without even intending to or having control over it, we are participating in something that separates us from God rather than bringing us close to God. Now, these forces move through the world as though possessed of cunning. You heard that, demon. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Cunning, but also cynicism. Dinah Butler Bass, this morning, in her essay on this passage, and, you know, I talked about her last week, how she hit it out of the ballpark. Well, this week she did, too. She talks about the cynicism in this thing that has inhabited this man. And, and, I th and I thought, oh my God, you know, so many people are eaten up with cynicism. They've given up on our world. They've given up on our country. They've given up on love, on hope, on possibilities, on imagination, on creativity. We could go on and on and on. So cynicism is yet another one of those things, right? And these things whatever we call them. Uh, you know, these things in our world, they seem to resist our best attempts to overcome them. And as we make those attempts, the experience can be less like figuring out or coming to an answer than it is like wrestling with a beast, right? So I want to take a little moment here and say if I were Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, I would say, let's not uh, make a binary of this. Let's, let's not just put evil over here and good over here. That we need to recognize that sometimes when we encounter these things and we push back against them or we try to balance or we try to care and love what is broken, right? That there's something that happens in that. That... that we have the capacity to change and bring light and hope to one corner of our broken world, right? And that doesn't happen without this kind of milieu of things going swirling about us. If we were happy 100% of the time, I, I'd just get fatter and uh, <laughs> I'd just not, I'd get lazier than anything, but because I have these challenges, I, I, I do better, you know? Well, and so for Mark, Jesus comes into the world to take on all of this, this unholy spirit, spirits swirling about us. Now, you may not know, and I don't talk a lot about the word salvation, because I think it's been, I think it's been really distorted by a lot of people, but it comes from the Latin salvus, which means health. That the whole idea of God redeeming us, of this salvation happening in our lives, is to give us health. And in Mark, Jesus' idea of salvation isn't to give us a ticket to the heavenly land in the sweet by and by, although promises us that, right? Jesus is, gives us a ticket to bring new health into our lives, communities, and the world today. It's about today. Right here, right now, that's what salvation's about. So for Jesus' sake, the sake of all people and the whole of creation, the death-dealing forces need to be confronted. We need to ultimately work toward overcoming that. 
right? And you know what? Here's the thing. Sometimes we're going to do it, and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're going to give our best. We're going to give all the love we have. We're going to try our hardest, and maybe it does, we feel like it doesn't work. But we don't know how God is going to work, right? And so for those disciples who follow Jesus and who want to join him in just this kind of action, to speak and to act with boldness and clarity, to heal and liberate with our words, at the same time, we do this work with our good deeds and our love. And following Jesus means that following him right into the work of salvation, of healing right here, right now, into the fray, as you will have it which may scare Jesus out of you. <laughs> but I implore you to stay with it. For Mark, when, we hear, when Jesus speaks, we hear God's voice. When Jesus acts, we see God's activity in human form, in the world, the world we inhabit. And sure enough, Jesus doesn't just simply talk about healing and liberation. He heals and liberates. He doesn't just talk about it. He does it. He speaks and acts out of his essence as the embodiment of God's love in human form. And what Jesus says and what he does and who he is are all the same. He doesn't say one thing and do another. It's all the same. Jesus is the Holy One of God, the one who has come to heal, liberate, redeem. So what of you and me here? This is a broken world, and we are surrounded by it. But then we have this little church where we get this respite, where we get a chance to love each other and, and to care for each other. And sometimes we feel surrounded by in, and inhabited by demons and evil and unholiness. And maybe sometimes we're the ones wanting to shriek what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Or where are you, Jesus of Nazareth? Or what do you have to do with me in our most broken place? What do you have to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Why would you even bother? But the answer comes back again and again. This Jesus, the one who speaks with authority, with his words and his life, this Jesus responds on this side of heaven. And actually, when we fail, speaks to us on the other side of heaven as well. And says to us, everything. I have everything to do with you. Everything, the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows, our brokenness and our health, our desires, our disappointments. And Jesus would go on and say, as does the God who loves you beyond your imagining. I have everything to do with you. So come and follow me into the fullness of life, here and now and ultimately into that heavenly land. Do you hear that? Even if you don't have a good theology of evil and you spook easy, 
And you fear all the demons and evil and unholy spirits that surround you and swirl about in this world. Do not fear. Be still and listen so that you may hear and know Jesus has everything to do with us. Then go and live in that hope and that promise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.